On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Scott Mark, Vice President and Solutions Architect at Craneware, as we discuss succession planning for pharmacy leaders. Hi everyone and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by the Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Dr. Scott M. Mark is Vice President and Solutions Architect at Craneware Incorporated. His primary role is working with clients to optimize IT solutions and to use these partnerships to drive the product roadmaps, client adoption, and user satisfaction. Previously, he worked as the Vice President in the Startup Division of Craneware Healthcare Intelligence, where he helped develop and launch a new cost analytics tool for hospitals. Scott has over 30 years of progressive healthcare leadership experience in a variety of diverse roles within healthcare. Prior to his role at Craneware, Scott served as Vice President of Strategy and Operations at the Allegheny Health Network, as well as Corporate Vice President of IT, the National Pharmacy Practice Director and Healthcare Advisory Practice at Pricewaterhouse, and as a Department Head at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Dr. Mark holds multiple degrees in pharmacy, management, masters of business administration, accounting, and finally theology. Scott completed his residency at the Ohio State University, is a fellow in the advisory board company, as well as a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives and the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. He has received a variety of national awards for education, leadership, mentoring, marketing and professional service, and was inducted into the National Academy of Practice as a distinguished practitioner and subsequently served as the chair. Dr. Mark has served as an invited lecturer at a variety of universities and regularly presents at national meetings. Dr. Mark is an eloquent lecturer speaking at nearly 180 universities, both internationally and nationally. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on today. Thank you for having me, Bob. Um, again, you know, you and I worked, uh, there's a previous podcast that's uh, been published uh, on job loss, and I was really happy to talk to you about that. Very, very important topic for leaders, and now another very important topic as it relates to succession planning. And I know that you've worked with, with many folks um, to help them understand the importance of this and you even termed it the forgotten art uh, in pharmacy management, and and I think you're I think you're right. I think most pharmacy leaders aren't thinking about succession planning when that should be one of the things that is on the forefront 
uh, of their mind. So again, you've had lots of experience with this uh, over time. Uh, why is why is succession planning important, and is there a crisis as it relates to the lack of succession planning and pharmacy leadership? So numerically speaking, there's certainly a crisis. So the, there's a crisis in pharmacy in terms of just job job vacancies in general, but there's especially a crisis in pharmacy leadership, and and there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, one of which is you know the the pay gap between the average uh, middle uh, management worker and, and the senior leader has shrunk over the years that, that causes people to question whether or not that added responsibility and added risk, to be honest with you, uh, is worth it. Uh, you, you spend a considerable amount of hours outside of the job working on uh, pharmacy leadership activities. And so at some point, you start to have a, a, a crisis of work-life balance. And so if you're not desperately needing those few extra dollars, it causes a lot of people to question whether or not that investment is, is really the direction they want to go with their life. But, but even more so than that, there, there are a limited number of formal pharmacy leadership training programs, obviously OSU being one. And so uh, the fact that the profession is relying upon um, a small number of programs to generate the the number of needed positions is, is just unrealistic. And so what ends up happening is, you know, if you happen to be one of those uh, large academic medical centers that gets a first round draft pick and can recruit and, and hire one of these all-stars coming out of these programs, then fantastic. You know, you're, you're advanced um, down the road in terms of what, what they already know and are capable of doing. But the reality for most hospitals is they're hiring somebody who has demonstrated skills in pharmacy, not necessarily leadership, and they're expecting to grow them into a leadership role. And, and that is a larger challenge than is appreciated. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that because, and again, you've done it to folks that you and I have worked with, it, it requires a significant amount of your time. Um, it requires a significant amount of just focus and just really a lot of patience too, in terms of training people to, you know, to really be leaders. And so, um, so in terms of succession planning and where it fits on your list of priorities, so let's say you're a pharmacy director in a large academic medical center, or even a small place, where, where should succession planning sit in terms of your strategic priorities? Well, for me, it has to be near the top. So the, the probability of you losing somebody key on your team is exceptionally high. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But one of the most prominent is these people are so talented and, and it's recognized in healthcare that you've got a group of people that understand clinical and operations and finance and inventory analytics and all these areas of healthcare all bundled into uh, a couple individuals in an organization. And, and so I always refer to them as unicorns. So when people are out there looking for these unicorns, and, and my career path has taken me some interesting places because I had an unusual combination of skill sets. But the reality is they're not that unusual in the pharmacy leadership group. And so they, they just haven't been marketed as such. And so when people are looking for somebody that can understand clinical and IT or can 
you can speak to physician groups, but also understand finance and strategy. The pharmacy leader is that person. And, and so they get pulled into all kinds of directions in healthcare that are exciting and challenging. And so it, it creates these vacancies. Well, how do you replace that unicorn? Once you have a unicorn on your team, how do you replace them? Where do they come from? And, and so the reality is you're going to have to grow them. Uh, otherwise, your organization is going to stall out until you get to a point where you can backfill positions. And, and it's actually one of the more myopic um, viewpoints of pharmacy directors is not appreciating that. They, they get this sense that, well, if I grow people too strong, then, then I'll be obsolete myself. And the reality is you're going to be obsolete if you don't grow them. So one of my favorite quotes is a, is a Richard Branson quote, which is you, you train people well enough so that they can leave, but you treat them well enough so that they don't want to. And so, you know, you have to create that kind of skill set so that it frees you up to work on larger uh, issues within your organization so that you can reposition not just yourself, but the entire department. Yeah. So no, absolutely. And I, I do think, I do think that people are, people become, um, I don't want to say jealous, but people become, uh, threatened maybe by people that report to them who may be more skilled or maybe, you know, more skilled at certain things. And as they develop them, they're obviously their reputation, maybe their connections to the organization improve. And all of a sudden they've got all these other connections outside of the pharmacy director's connections. And there may be some, you know, folks feeling threatened. But in essence, that really reflects positively on the leader, doesn't it, Scott? It not only reflects positively, but it, it sends a clear message to the organization that you can build a, a well-oiled machine that runs well, and you can then work on other things. And the organization will use that skill in other areas of, of uh, the operations. So the reality is, if you don't do that, then you become tethered to that organization and that department forever. So, so it's really something that um, I think senior leaders appreciate mm -hmm. and, and middle management leaders, if they don't learn it, then, then they get um, hampered by it. Senior leaders absolutely understand that their leadership skills are transferable. And so they, they don't want to be tethered to any one operation. And so uh, it, it's something that uh, a former uh, boss of mine who was a physician years ago um, used to talk to me about, uh, if you really want to move around in the organization and, and gain more prominence, you have to be able to train people to fill the role that you're stepping away from. That's interesting. Yeah, I think, again, for the folks listening to this podcast, this is really important uh, information that Dr. Mark's talking about, and that is making sure that you continue to develop your people, because the more you develop them to be successful throughout the organization, the more successful you are as a pharmacy leader. I think some people talk about workforce planning and succession planning. What are the, what are the differences there, Scott? Well, workforce planning has a lot more to do with volume and throughput than it does uh, for individual skill set. So if you're planning for succession, you're planning for a strategic growth in an area that's going to require a, a differentiation of skills. Workforce planning is more about, well, we're expecting a 20% increase in volume, so we're going to need 20% increase in staff, including management uh, uh, personnel. So um, it, it's more about doing an inventory of what do you have on your team currently in terms of those skills 
and what are the new roles going to take? So the, there's a few interesting um, sort of challenges wrapped into that. The, the first is um, you'd be surprised what the skills are that are necessary for success that may be different from what you think they are. So one of the exercises I used to do with my residents years ago was uh, I would have them evaluate certain key roles within the healthcare organization and, and list down, and we had a variety of skill sets that they could choose from, list down the skills that were they felt were most important for success in their roles. And we had a very engaged senior leadership team uh, at the medical center. And so I had them do the same thing. And we would compare the lists. So, so you know, if you think financial acumen is one of the most important skills for this next level position, whether it's vice president or COO or whatever, does, does somebody in that role agree with you? And, and often they would not. The skills that they said were most important were not on the radar of those people who had aspirations to get there. So, wow. so that's, that's the disconnect that you have to expose. You, you have to make folks understand that, that the skill sets to move into certain roles may not be what you think they are because you're thinking about it from a perspective of what you felt was important where you are. So, so being a department head might require certain skills, but moving up to a vice president or, or somebody who's over several departments might be a completely different skill set. And, and so to me, I always think about it in terms of just because you're a really good college coach doesn't mean you're going to be a good professional coach. Because exactly. at, the, at the college level, recruiting is, is everything, right? At the professional level, it's, it's less important. So to think you just have to be a better recruiter because I'm now at a higher level in a professional uh, capacity is really a flawed thinking. And so it gets people into something called uh, the Peter Principle, which is a, a book, a concept that was written years ago, I think in the 60s, um, which basically says, you know, the skill set that makes you successful today in your current role may not match the skill set that's required in the next role. And what happens is people get promoted because they're really good at what they do today and they get promoted to their what, what's referred to as their level of incompetence. So they get to a point where they eventually are over their head. And now what do you do with them as an organization? You had somebody that was a superstar. Now they're an underperformer. Often you can't put them back in their old role. So what, what happens is folks get pushed off to a side role where they become obsolete, which is really unfortunate given the level of skill that got them promoted in the first place. So it's interesting you say that. It was... Uh... <clears throat> There's a situation of a colleague uh, of ours who uh, went from a, a, a pharmacy director to a, a basically a, a medical department administrator, ran aground of the chief, uh, you know, medical officer of that. And, uh, you know, this person was very, very well regarded in the organization for their skills and uh, and then was placed in an alternate role and then became... I wouldn't say obsolete, but became not as influential. And then they, this person got very, you know, they just got to the point where they just didn't enjoy their job and ended up leaving the organization, which is a shame because this person's skill set uh, would have really benefited the organization over the long haul. So, I mean, it's a perfect um, story about how important, again, understanding at the next level what what is truly needed to be successful. And you know, Scott, it's not always obvious, right? So it always isn't obvious to me, for example, 
what my boss's skills are that he utilizes every day in his job because I'm not with him all the time, right? You know, I see him at our monthly meeting and at our, you know, departmental meetings, et cetera. But there's a myriad of skills that he's in, he or she is employing that really I'm not aware of. So I, I think that's maybe how people get, get stuck in that, huh? Part of it. The, the other part of it is people place value on skills that are important to them. So if you're a certain type of a leader, you know, you're a Winston Churchill, strong, powerful, gregarious leader, um, you may not look at a leader like a, a Mahatma Gandhi and say, well, that, that's my idea of a strong leader. When, when in fact, the skills that are necessary in certain situations are less about the attributes that you've placed value on, and they're more about other attributes. And so one of the things that, that is absolutely essential in this process is to create that skills inventory for both the, the job as well as yourselves. And, and then understand that you have to grow in certain areas. It's also important to understand that, that pharmacy itself has a preponderance of certain types of skills. And, and so when you're looking to draft into a certain role, you, you have a, a, an abundance of some skill sets and a deficit in others and, and understanding what those are. So you know, for example, if you if you look at Myers Briggs, right? If you're not familiar with that, it's basically a, a survey system that was developed years ago to evaluate personality types. But but the more important side of it is it basically tells us a little bit about how we're hardwired, and so how we're more likely to react in certain situations, what kinds of other personality types we will collaborate well with, and which types we'll have um, some sort of conflict with. But in pharmacy, the ISTJ category is normally it's about 12% or less in, in society. It's, it's, it's more than 40% in pharmacy. Wow. But, but if you understand what that means, it's not that surprising because in pharmacy, you need people that are diligent and, and they're practical and they're realistic and they can problem solve and all of these kinds of things. So, so you know, the fact that people that are talented in that area gravitated to the profession and the fact that the profession recruits those kinds of people in terms of how we evaluate candidates for acceptance, uh, it, it matches up. But, but what it doesn't do a good job for us of doing is helping us understand what are the personality types or really attributes that are necessary in certain kinds of leadership roles if you intend to grow in those directions. You know, you wrote a really interesting article about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago on succession planning. And you talk about the, the six elements, which is assessing key positions, identifying and assessing the, the talent, identifying and assessing future skills, uh, any gaps, you know, talking about developmental plans, and then finally developing kind of an overall monitoring and review of people to make sure that they're you're training those folks to assume these positions. Of those, and I know all of them are important, if you could just spend some time and just touch on a couple of them and give us a little more detail uh, on that, of those steps that you think are the most critical in succession planning. So for me, the, the first two are kind of connected, and, and they're most important to identify early on because they're very longitudinal. So, so you have to understand what the skills are and, and have a strategy to evaluate closing those gaps. So, so experiences are the number one driver 
of getting people ready for future promotions and, and future larger roles. And, and so you have to be willing to free people up to engage in experiences that are going to challenge them in ways that become marketable in the future. So whether that's you know engaging in, in developing a service line or creating a, a new model of uh, marketing your service line to a strategic plan, what, whatever that is, these are these are areas that don't come up all the time. And so you have to have identified them so that when they do come up, you can start to migrate people into these kinds of roles. And, and so uh, a couple ways that folks artificially do that, and this is one of my more favorite um, Cliff Lasserlet stories, is um, Cliff used to take the org chart. And, and as you know, in an org chart, you've got everybody's name and you've got a whole bunch of job responsibilities listed below everybody's name. So he used to literally cut up the org chart. And, and I think the, the cycle was every two years, but I could be off, wrong on that. But, but it, periodically he would cut up the org chart and he'd spread out all the pieces on the table and he'd reshuffle them so that people got different responsibilities every few years. And I remember thinking as a, as a resident at the time, well, that's just nuts <laughs> because why wouldn't you have your best people, you know, assigned to the role that they're best at? Um, but in retrospect, it was brilliant because it forced people to grow and not only understand and appreciate the connectedness within the department, but grow into all of these roles. So it literally got to a point that it, if, if he lost anybody on his team, he could move somebody from another place and, and, and then proceed to recruit or draft the best available athlete, to use a sports term, right? So, so as he was interviewing people, he could interview whoever that was the most talented, even if they weren't the person that had the best financial skills or the best um, clinical skills, given that that might have been where he lost somebody from his team. He could backfill and, and hire the best person for whatever skills they did bring to the table. And, and so it, it's kind of a brilliant uh, approach. One of the organizations I worked with years ago um, used to have a very formal succession planning program. And so they worked with the advisory board at the time who um, had a fellowship program, I'm not sure they still do, um, where you could, uh, as part of your um, advisory board membership, you could send people through the fellowship program. And so for each role on the senior team, they would identify two potential successors in the organization. So two people that could replace, uh, be trained and, and groomed to replace the COO, two people that could replace the CMO, the, the CIO, and so on. So that there was a, a whole layer of people that were ready to step in to these roles. And, and you hear and see that much more commonly in senior leadership roles than you do in department head roles. And, and I think it's reflective of the fact that we're not looking down the road far enough. And what's really interesting, Scott, is that our new CEO, who I happen to have a great deal of respect for, uh, he has uh, established a succession planning um, program that goes to the associate director level within my department. So it goes deep. It goes clear deep. And so, in fact, this Friday, um, I'm turning in uh, what I see as the people you know, the succession plan for various positions. And it's sort of driven out of COVID just because as people get sick, we want to know kind of who's in charge, you know, who's going to take over for them, et cetera. 
But um, the other piece of it that we have to do is we have to uh, think about and suggest some external succession plan as well. So that's where I'm sort of thinking about my reach in terms of my colleagues, you know, who, who would be a good person, for example, as, as a succession for my job. And so there's an external tab. So when it comes to people leaving, not only will there be internal succession, but also recommendations for external uh, successors. So I, I think he's, he's doing an outstanding job. And, and that's just one example of some of the great things he's doing, but he really is focused on succession planning across the entire organization. And it's been uh, a breath of fresh air because it does give people um, the, I wouldn't say the hope, but it gives them the, the sort of the information that they're valued and that there's room for growth, you know? And, and, and I think that's another key, um, key learning. It's very transformative in terms of the culture of an organization when you do that. Because it sends a clear message that you're investing in people and that you value their skill sets. So organizations that generally struggle with turnover at, at leadership positions are because the, the people in those roles didn't feel like that they were on a path for something eventually in the future. So, you know, people always have this mindset that if I'm going to grow in my, my career path, I'm going to have to move. I, ha I have to go from organization to organization. And the reality is that that's not necessarily true. It, it may be true, but it's not necessarily true. And so the organization has to create that level of connectedness with their talent. Otherwise, they 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 do create their own self fulfilling prophecy. Well, and the other thing that is uh, very helpful here is that, for example, I could go to the CEO and say, you know, Jim. Um, I really feel based on what I've seen, you know, Sally and her performance and how she'd be great in this other position in the hospital. So he's very willing and open and encourages us to, if we see specific skills and talent that we think could be used elsewhere, that we should suggest it, you know, and it's been really cool. It really has where we can, we have discussions about where we think people will fit in the organization. And what it, what's doing is it's really uh, diversifying our, our leadership team as well as providing opportunity for people. So I, I, I can't stress enough for the folks listening how important uh, succession planning is. Um, how does one um, how does one determine somebody's future skills, Scott? That's that's I think something you've always been really good at, and I've always I've been wanting to actually ask you that question. <laughs> how do you determine? the ability for somebody to do something in the future, a, a skill, a leadership role, et cetera? Well, so there's a couple sides to this. The, the first is we've already talked about, you have to have an inventory of what's required for future roles. So the, the people can look at that and they can say, well, I feel like I fit here. I don't feel that it fit, I don't feel like I fit there. Or uh, I'm missing these key skills. So, you know, if you're looking to move into a CFO role, you know, do you have the the understanding of you know government regulations as it re relates to gap in a in a nonprofit healthcare organization? You know, so so those are those are knowledge gaps that you have to put on your list. And so what that leads you towards is an individual development plan. So one of the things though that can help you build that out is to create a process where future leaders can spend some time with senior leaders in your organization, and they can talk about what it took, what it what it's going to require, what the path is, those kinds of things, so that you can actively help steer them towards these these areas. 
Now, there's certainly going to be times where, you know, somebody just doesn't have the right skill or the motivation in a particular direction, right? There's people that just, they're just not analytical, or there's people that are, you know, they're just not, um, you know, financially inclined. And, and so, and that's okay. But knowing that is just as important as knowing the pathways that, that are um, most likely fruitful. So, you know, moving people in these directions, I, I think is absolutely essential. Connecting them with people in the organization is probably one of the first steps. Yes. Scott, what's inspiring you these days? I know we've talked a little bit about your theology background and some of the work you're doing with a, with your church and helping them to grow their their ministries. But what other things excite you? I know you have some great and talented kids. I've seen the the pictures of them playing hockey and doing all kinds of great things. But what, what's inspiring you these days? Well, obviously, I'm very engaged with my kids, and so I spend a lot of hours coaching and, and uh, you know, in, in different uh, youth programs. Um, you mentioned the church, so I, I'm working with the church right now on um, helping to um, redirect them in, in actually some of these ways in terms of how do you backfill ministry leader positions and how do you identify skills and how do you recruit for um, certain kinds of skills that would be uh, optimal in, in some ministry positions. So um, so that's one area of engagement. Uh, I'm, I'm also quite active right now in um, uh, a, a university over in the UK uh, in terms of um, having a, a publication um, appreciation for what is happening with the cultural changes going on in society and how do you reconcile that with uh, traditional um, church theology. And so how do you help people, particularly young people, navigate through some of the, um, the areas that are seemingly inconsistent with scripture, but in fact are not? They're, they're just not reframed correctly. Interesting. Well, that's I'm, And I know that you've always been a very thoughtful person, and I've always respected that and the, the fact that you, again, are a lifelong learner through all of your various uh, degrees that you've earned, et cetera, is really, again, a testament to your you just continuing to improve yourself. And I think, again, that's a lesson for folks on this podcast as well. What what final part, what parting uh, advice do you have for our residents who are out there? We have, as you know, we've got 40, 30, 40% of the folks listening are trainees. What, what, are, what are some of your thoughts? Well, I would say where you think you're going to go with your career path is nowhere near where you will actually go. So if you want an interesting exercise, write it down on a piece of paper, seal it in an envelope, and put it away somewhere uh, like a time capsule and open it up in 20 years and, and see how close you were. Because the reality is, you know, people coming out of these, these formal training programs have this mindset that they're going to head through these pharmacy pathways where they're going to be a manager at some point and an assistant director and a director and a CPO. And the reality is because of your skill set being so rare and so valuable, you will get pulled in directions you have never possibly conceived of. And so the probability of people having a direct path to a CPO position coming out of these pharmacy leadership residency programs is quite, quite low at this point compared to what it was 30 years ago. Oh, sure. When I was uh, getting out 30, almost four, well, 40 years ago, it was, just, it was, well, we could, I could go from my MS to clinical job, to supervisor, to director, to chief pharmacy officer. 
And as you know, that's that's not the path. It's much more circuitous. It's much more nonlinear. And it's actually exciting, right? I mean, for, for all of us, for our, our graduates. And, and that's why we, you know, that's why I do what I do every day is to provide them the skills that they can, that they can really be successful. I think one of the most important skills they need is clearly communicating their vision and clearly communicating their point. And I think that as my residents work on that, they, you know, that tends to make them, you know, just frees them up and makes them more uh, successful and more marketable. And yeah, I mean, I think some of many of the things you did at the University of Pittsburgh also look at the success of your graduates, Scott. I mean, they've they've all taken different paths, right? Your coworkers, your people you've mentored, uh, working in very in different positions than they probably would have thought that they would have had twenty years ago, right? So, well, and I think that that speaks to the adaptability of the programs. So it, it used to be, you know, when you and I went through decades ago. Um, that uh, there was an expectation within the program that you were going to become a director of pharmacy one day, right? There, were, there, were, there was almost a pride when that list would come out uh, sometimes during recruiting events that would say, well, here's a list of all of our past graduates and this person's director here and this person's director there. And so, so the expectation was that, that you have a very definitive career path available to you by selecting our program. And the reality is, I'm not so sure that you know a large percentage of people go that direction anymore. Certainly, it's available to you, but the the reality is the the skill set equips you to go in a lot of other directions at this point. So now, when you pull out that list, you know somebody's you know in in an industry position, or somebody's leading a tech company, or somebody's you know a hospital operations person, or you know it. it the list isn't director, director, director anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, Scott, it's been great talking to you. Dr. Scott Mark, who, uh, again, is uh, um, somebody I've worked with for many years. And Scott, we really appreciate your advice and uh, have a great day. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, Please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.